And you may have a seat. You know, I read something this week. It says, you can tell what a church believes by the songs they sing because of the words. You can determine whether the people believe what they sing by how they sound. I'm telling you guys sing well. And I truly believe you believe the words that are up on the screen. And, and it encourages me when I just can hear you guys sing and raise and lift your voices. So, amen. Hey, do me a favor. Um, open up a Bible. Turn on a Bible. Whichever one you prefer. But we need to get to John chapter 6. We are in a study of the book of John. If you're a guest with us today, we've been in the book of John for some time. And we have been camped in the book of John chapter 6 now for a couple weeks. And uh, continuing in this... Uh, now, which is a, a long dialogue of Jesus. Um, but let me ask you a question. Hope you're on it today. Who can tell me what is the middle name of our church? Did you say faith? That's the pastor's wife. Those of you who said Bible, thank you. Paul was like, faith. Well, no. Last time I checked, it was harvest, Bible. Chapel. I love my wife so much. I do. The middle name of our church is Bible. Okay. And um, one of our pillars here at Harvest is that we proclaim the authority of God's word unapologetically. That's why I preach like I do when I say, open up your Bible. Okay, and, and we go verse by verse and chapter by chapter. And the reason is, is because we believe that, that, that what we have in our hands is not just another book. It is the book. It's not just a book of truth. It is the truth. We believe that this is the actual very word, literal word of God, that God gave to humanity. And, and the thing about the word of God, about the Bible is, we don't read it, we don't teach it, we don't preach it just to inform. What do you think it is meant to do? Change, transform, okay? The Word of God is, is not just to give us and fill our heads with more information, but it is to take our lives with transformation. And, and throughout the entire Scripture, whether it's the Old Testament, New Testament, the words of the Old Testament prophets, to the words of Jesus, to the words of the apostles in the New Testament, the goal of the Bible is simply this, to move you, to move people, to move your heart. It, it, it is to move and, and, and to work in our life. A verse that, as, as a pastor... A verse that, that really has just meant a lot to me is in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. And it says this, it says, not only was the preacher wise, I love that, <laughs> but he also imparted knowledge to the people, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher searched to find just the right words and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings, and they are given by one shepherd. What it's saying is the preacher puts together a message, and he studies, and he, he finds proverbs, and he puts it together, and it has one purpose, to act like a goad. Do you know what a goad is? You've got to be a farmer, okay? If you have cattle or sheep or a cattle pigs or whatever. How many of you know sometimes animals can be stubborn and, and you're trying to move them from maybe from, from a pen into like um, a, a carrier or out of the carrier into a pen and you're trying to nudge them. Well, sometimes you have thing called a goad and it's actually like a prod and it zaps the animal for one purpose. Move. I want you to move. And so sometimes you have to go to an animal to get them to move. God's word acts like that sometimes. It, it's, it's a goad to move us, to change us, to reshape us. 
You see, the word of God can take someone who is an unbeliever and move them to become a believer. It can take an immature believer and move them to become a mature believer. The word of God can act like a goat in a way where it can take someone who has never served a day in their life to start serving. It can take someone who has never witnessed to anybody in their life to become someone sharing their faith. It can move someone who doesn't give financially to go, my money's not mine, and start giving. You see, the word of God moves you. It is meant to move you. It is meant to take, to move the heart of a person, to move a person to a closer, deeper walk and relationship with God. And that is what we see in the book of John. Everything Jesus says, he taught, he, he, whatever he did, it had one purpose, to move people, okay? He, he tried to, he, he wanted people to understand who he was, that he was the Lamb of God, the, 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 the Savior of the world, that he came into this world to die for sinners, and he wanted people to get that. And so he taught them, and he said things that in, in the people's minds back then were, what? But it was to move them. Here in John chapter 6, from verse 22 all the way through the rest of this chapter, is really one long, again, one long dialogue Jesus is having with a group of people. And it's like, like one big sermon. And this entire context of, of the rest of John chapter 6 has only one purpose. Jesus is wanting to move these people. He's wanting to move their hearts. He's wanting to change their mind, change their heart, and change their will, and to move them closer to him. Now, here's the thing we're going to see as we progress through the rest of chapter 6. The word of God has a way of moving people closer to him or away from him. Jesus will move people, but unfortunately for some of these people, it'll move in the wrong direction. Today's message, I'm going to be honest with you, is one of those tough ones, okay? Not tough because the text is tough. It's going to be tough to hear. Because here in this text, Jesus is is communicating to a crowd. And he's going to say some things that will cut right to the heart. So let me start with verse 22 and read verses 22 through 24. It sets up where this is going. So look at verse 22. It says, on the next day, now remember, the next day means the day previous is that Jesus just performed the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. Even more than that, probably somewhere upwards of 8, 15 to 20,000 people. There were men, women, children, and he took five loaves of bread and two fish. And what did he do? He, he, he was able to reproduce it and feed the masses. And there was leftovers. Now it's the next day. And remember, after the feeding of the 5,000 is when Jesus walked on the water. And I would encourage you, if you have missed any of the messages over the past four weeks, I would encourage you to get online and listen to them. I have had more people tell me that last week's message, Ron's message, Kevin's message, and the message I preached before Kevin has spoken to more people than ever before. I would encourage you, if you've missed any of the past four weeks, listen to those messages. So Jesus has now walked on the water. He is now with his disciples on the other side of Lake, the Sea of Galilee. And this is where we're at. He says, on the next day, the crowd, underline those words in your Bible, the crowd. The crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there. And that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples. Underline those words, his disciples. But that his disciples, underline those words, his disciples, had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had, they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd, underline those words, the crowd, saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, underline those words, his disciples, they themselves got in the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Hey, do you notice... Um, Did you notice something standing out? Two groups of people. Who were they? The crowd, the disciples. 
the crowd, the disciples. Two groups of people. Jesus is going to address the crowd. And it's important to understand who the crowd is and who the disciples were. In the Greek lexicon, Greek-English lexicon, the, the Launida, it, it defines the crowd like this. The crowd was a casual, non-membership group of people assembled for whatever purpose. A non-membership, just casual group of people were just together for whatever purpose. That's the crowd. And this is who Jesus is going to be addressing. But then you also have the disciples. Now, in Jesus' time, the word disciple in its most you know, generic form simply meant someone who was a, a learner or a follower. If you followed someone, you were kind of a disciple. But these men were more than just someone who just followed along for whatever reason. They were a growing disciple. These men, the, the, the true meaning of a disciple was to become a learner of your teacher. But not just learn from them, but actually have the will to become like them. Even to the degree to surpass them. That as a disciple of this teacher, I want to become so much like them that I surpass them. That's these disciples. Okay? So you have the crowd and the disciples. So you can kind of say it like this. You have the casual crowd and the committed core. Can I tell you something? It's no different today. In churches everywhere, you have usually two groups of people. The casual crowd, the committed core. Well, who's who? The casual crowd are people like this. I just show up for the show. I'm just along for the ride. I'm not committed to really anything. I casually show up now and then. Um, I'm not committed to the mission or the ministry of the church. I'm just here. Just along for the ride. That's the casual crowd. The committed core are people who are like, Sign me up. Whatever the need is, I want to help. The committed core are the servers. They're the ones doing the ministry. They're the ones getting it done. The, co the, the, the committed core are the ones who are giving of their finances. The committed core are the ones who are the leaders in the church. The committed core are the ones who are like, man, I, this is what I'm about. Let's get the mission and the ministry done for the glory of God. That's the committed core. And here's the truth. Without the committed core, the church doesn't survive. Because the casual crowd can't get it done. Jesus is addressing the crowd. And he is going to cut through all the red tape over these next several verses. Today, we're just looking at the first part. And so let's look at this so-called crowd and let's see what the crowd is about and what Jesus has to say to them. So here's the first thing about this crowd. The crowd seeks Jesus for what he can give them. The crowd seeks Jesus for what he can give them. So again, if you look at the end of verse 45, it says that this crowd went across the Sea of Galilee seeking Jesus. How many of you know that's a good thing? People need to seek Jesus. People everywhere all the time are seeking Jesus, okay? You, at one time, you came to the point where you were seeking Jesus because there, you knew there was something going on in my life. And you started coming to a church. Maybe not this one, but sometime in your life, you started going to a church. You started reading a Bible. You started talking to someone. But you were seeking Jesus. That's a good thing. That's a good place to be. But here's the problem. This crowd was seeking Jesus for the wrong reason. And even Jesus addresses that. Look at verse 25. It says, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, I love this question, Rabbi, when did you get here? 
Now, they already knew there was only one boat, and that boat was gone, and they didn't see Jesus get in the boat. They saw Jesus go where? Do you remember? To the mountain. My question would have been not when did you get here, but what? How did you get here? Because, because where they were located, if Jesus would have walked, he wouldn't have been there yet. Because the walk around the lake was a long distance. He would have still been hiking. But they were like, when did you get here? No, I would have been like, dude, how did you get here? Because there was only one boat and it got stormy last night. How did you already get here? And Jesus addresses them. In verse 26, it says, Jesus answered them, truly, truly. Hey, do you remember what I've said about whenever Jesus says truly, truly? Remember what I said about that? It's urgent. He's like, I'm going to tell you a truth. Zero in on what I'm about to say. So if Jesus was telling these people, I need you to listen to this, what do you think it's saying to us? Listen up. We need to listen to this too. So Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. He's like, he's like you're not really seeking me because of things I've done. You're seeking me because um, you were hungry and you got a free meal. And now it's the next day. It's breakfast time. Dude, my stomach's kind of, anybody's stomach kind of growling right now? Mine is. You know, my, my, my protein shake is done, and my stomach's kind of growling. So if Jesus was here, wouldn't it be great if we could get a meal? They're seeking Jesus, not because of who he was. Not because, they weren't seeking Jesus to find out, how did you get here? Because I want to find out. They were seeking Jesus because they only wanted a temporal thing. They had an appetite. They were hungry and they were hoping for another miraculous meal. And Jesus is like, look, you're seeking me, but you're seeking me for the wrong reason. You know, in the Bible, you, you see this throughout the gospels. You, you, you see there are really, there, there's needy people all the time around Jesus. People who had genuine, genuine needs. But here's the thing. You can cut those people in half. There were people who had legitimate need, physical need. But guess what? They sought Jesus not for the physical need. They understood there was a deeper need in me. Jesus, help me. Save me. I'm a sinner. And those people came to Jesus because of that reason. But then you had people who had real genuine needs, but only sought Jesus because of the need and only wanted Jesus to fix the need, meet the need. I'm hungry, Jesus. You gave me a meal last night. Hey, can you do it again today? I just want some more bread. I just want some more food. Meet my need, Jesus. They weren't seeking the real spiritual need they had. They only wanted Jesus to give them what they wanted. But fast forward 2,000 years. It's no different today. How many people, and again, if you look at people, you can split people in half. There are people with real, genuine need in life. And they're coming to Jesus because they understand their deeper need. They're like, man, I'm a mess. I like what Dusty said this morning. Man, we are all far from perfect. And a lot of people get that. I'm a sinner. I am messed up. And Jesus, help me with this. But then there are people who are like Aladdin and, and, and the lamp. Oh, Jesus, here's what I'm needing. Needing a new job. Oh, Jesus, I'm rubbing the lamp. Man, I, I need healing in my body. I need, my wife needs healing. And Jesus, that's what I need. And people are coming to Jesus, looking to Jesus only because this is what I want from him. Fix my life. Fix my problem. And what people will say is, and maybe you've said this or you know people who've said this, I'm going to try Jesus out. 
I'm going to go to church and I'm going to try it out. It's kind of like, like going to the store, shopping for clothes, and you're going, i got to go try this on. Does it fit or not? And a lot of people are coming to church. A lot of people are trying Jesus, and they're like, it's not fitting. He, he's not doing what I'm, I'm, I'm needing. He's not, he's not, I'm asking him to do this, and it's not happening. I can tell you, in 21 years of preaching, we've had people come into this church and quickly leave this church because they were only seeking Jesus for what they, he would give them. And I remember specifically one time, I bet this was in my first year, first year or two. And uh, there was a family in Woodhall, and they started coming to church. After a couple weeks, they asked me if I would come to their house and counsel them. They, their marriage was in trouble. Their life was a mess. And, and what they kept saying, they're like, we want to try Jesus. We want to see if he can fix our problems. And I kept trying to say, I'm like, listen, Jesus can do that. But the primary thing about coming to Jesus is not about whether he will fix a physical problem. It's about him moving inside of you and working in you and, and him becoming your savior. And they're like, yeah, we get that. And they kept coming to church. They came to church for maybe a month. Well, the problem is Jesus didn't fix their problem in a month. And they were gone. They were gone as fast as they came in. Because they were like, well, Jesus needs to fix my problem. They just want Jesus to do what they want them to do. See, this is for me personally. This is one of my frustrations health wealth gospel is you have preachers out there who they literally will say Jesus died on the cross yes for your sin but also so you could become rich he died on a cross and you can claim that death on the cross for divine healing meaning you should never be sick and if you are sick or something's wrong you should be able to claim the death of the of, of Jesus on the cross and he'll give you that healing and so you have millions of people reading these books, listening to these preachers, and I sit and go, how many people are becoming so disillusioned, not with the preacher, but with Jesus, because Jesus isn't doing what they're claiming he will do. He's not making them wealthy. He's not healing their bodies. He's not doing something that they've been asking. Well, Jesus, this is what I've been told, that you will give me what I ask. Well, what happens if he doesn't? Does that mean that Jesus is not still on the throne? No, he is still God, and he is still sovereign, and he will still move according to doing what he wants to do. But yet, how many of us sit there and go, Jesus, you better give me what I want. And we seek Jesus only for what he can do for us, only for what he can give us. I actually sit and think about even just where we're at today, like in our culture and stuff. How many people are using Jesus um, to justify um, their racism? How many people are using Jesus to justify their prejudice? How many people are using Jesus to justify and support their, politi their, policy, their political policies? How many people are using Jesus to support their culture? Well, Jesus is, and this is what we get because of Jesus. Really? No. Jesus has so much more for us than just more bread. He has so much more for us than something physical. And that is where he starts to go now. And this is the second point. Here's the second thing about the crowd. The crowd satisfies their physical appetite more than their spiritual need. So Jesus is like, you're seeking me, but you're seeking me for the wrong reason. Look at verse 27. He says, do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, for on him God the Father has set his seal. So first Jesus says, don't be laboring for food that's going to perish. Jesus is not telling these people, don't work. Okay? He, he's not saying that that food, that physical food is worthless. What he's saying is, look, don't be spending all your energy, all your strength, all your time on the temporal. Don't be looking at just the physical and ignoring the spiritual. He's like, look, yeah, you're hungry, and I get that. How many of you know being hungry is a legitimate need? 
But Jesus is like, your hunger is temporal. You have a spiritual need that goes way much deeper. And he's like, don't be going after another free meal of, of some baked goods when that's not what you really need. I love Isaiah chapter 55. And you see, here's the thing. When Jesus said these words to these Jewish people, this verse should have been a big bell in their ear. Because in Isaiah 55 verse 2, it says, Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. Incline your ear and come to me. You see, these Jewish people, as soon as Jesus said, don't be laboring for something that's worthless and is going to perish, that verse should have been ringing in their ears like, oh, God told Isaiah that. Why are we chasing after something that's perishable? Why are we chasing after stuff that, isn't have, that has no eternal consequences? Jesus, what do you have for us? See, that goes back to the two groups. There were people in Jesus' time that had the physical need, but they understood they had a deeper need. These people understood they had a physical need, but they could not see the spiritual need. And all they were doing was chasing after Jesus for the physical. All they were chasing after Jesus for was more bread to eat. And Jesus is like, get your eyes off of the bread. There is real bread that you need to eat that will not just satisfy for a moment, but will satisfy for eternity. But yet, are we any different? Think about it. How many people, how many people today, part of the crowd, just are chasing after the physical appetite? Well, if I just make more money, that will satisfy me. If I just get that promotion, if I could just climb the ladder at work, that will satisfy me. If I could just get a better degree, if I could get my master's, if I could get my doctorate, that will satisfy me. If I could just become more popular, maybe if I became the mayor, that would satisfy me. If I could just have a bigger family, if I could just get married, if I could just fill in the blank. If I just had this, that would satisfy. It satisfies the flesh for a moment. When the soul hungers and the spirit is dying. Let's put this in the church perspective for a moment. How many people who attend church who are just part of the crowd will sit there and go, you know what, I, I, don't, I don't have time to serve in ministry I don't have time to connect in a small group or attend a, a Sunday school class because, man, I'm just too busy. I've got so many things going on, so many irons in the fire, and I just don't have time. How many people will, will sit there and go, man, I, 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 don't, I can't give of my finances because, well, you know, man, I've got financial obligations to meet and financial goals, and, and, and we spend what we make on ourselves, and we have nothing left over for God. How many people who are part of the crowd spend all of our time, our treasure, and our talent on the peripheral, on the physical, on the temporal, and we have nothing hardly left over for God? We have no time to invest in the mission and the ministry of the church because we are wasting all of our time on the temporal. Now, does that mean? Now, let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater on this, okay? I'm not saying that you can't engage in, in life outside the church. I'm not saying you can't coach your kids' little league baseball team. I'm not saying that you can't enjoy things with your finances. I'm not saying you can't go on a nice vacation. Everybody say you're not saying that. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is, if everything you're investing your life in is in the physical, to satisfy your physical appetite, to keep up with the Joneses, to make sure everybody sees you, and you have nothing left for God, you are just satisfying a temporal, physical appetite. And it's going nowhere. The need that you truly have is a spiritual need. And Jesus is like, look, 
Why do you waste your time, your money, and your effort? Why are you wasting all of this energy on something that's not going to last? The temporal, the worldly, all of this physical stuff is going to be gone. Okay? Listen, your physical body is going to pass away one of these days. And I don't care how people say it, that those who die with the most toys wins. No, those who die with the most toys still die. And your family gets your toys. Listen, we need to understand that if you're a believer and you're in the crowd, I still believe you're saved. But you're going to stand before Jesus. And he's going to want to know. Corinthians tells us this, that we're going to give an account as a believer at the judgment seat of Christ. And the, the judgment seat of Christ is not to judge you for your sin, but what did you do as a believer? That when you became a believer in Jesus Christ, he has given you spiritual gifts. You have talents and a personality. You have abilities. You have, you have um, resources. You have things. But what are you using them for as a believer in Christ? Well, Jesus, I just showed up for church. Really? That's it? That was the apex of, of what I gave you? You showed up for a, a church service? As a believer in Christ, you see, this is where the word of God should move you. Maybe you're here today I like how Dusty challenged us. Maybe you're here today, and if you were to honestly examine your life, you would be like, I'm the casual crowd. I'm, I'm just crowd. I show up on Sunday morning, not all the time, but I show up. But I do nothing to help. I don't serve. I don't connect in a group. I don't hardly give anything. I'm just wanting more bread. I just want the ride. The word of God, my prayer is that it moves you. It moves you from saying and that you would look at yourself and go, man, I don't want to just be part of the crowd. I don't want to just be a taker. I want to be a giver. I don't want to be just a consumer. Man, I want, to, I, want to, I want to partake in this thing. And that the Holy Spirit will take this message and it will start to work in you. And then all of a sudden, maybe it starts to move you to where maybe you're never, you, I'm not serving in the church. Well, you know what? Jim said something about kids ministry. Maybe I start getting involved in that. You don't hardly give anything financially. Maybe you start to go, you know what? It's not going to do me any good if I can own the entire world and give up everything that truly means something. And then you start to give. It moves you. We're all in different places. And we're all imperfect and none of us have our act together. But the idea is that the word of God moves us. And hopefully it moves us from just spending all of our time, all of our energy on our physical appetite and it moves us to see our real spiritual need. And that's where we get to. Number three. Here's the third thing about the crowd. The crowd supposes they can contribute to their salvation. The crowd supposes they can contribute to their salvation. Look at verse 28. It says, and they said to him, what must we do? I would under underline those words. What must we do? to be doing the works of God. It's, like, it's almost like these people are just, things are just going over their heads. They're not really getting it. They're like, okay, okay, fine, fine, fine. Then what do we do to get right with God? What do we do, man, to, to, to do these works of God? What do we do for our real salvation? What do we do? You see, that was the mantra for, for, for Jewish people back then. They were taught by the Pharisees over and over and over again. And their presupposition was, we work for our salvation. We merit 
our righteousness before God. And they truly believed that they could do and work and act and be right with God. I like how one commentator, he says it this way. He says the Jews believed that attaining eternal life consisted in finding the right formula for performing works to please God. The right formula. Man, how many people try to find the right formula? Can I tell you that every religion in the world is, is, is work-based? Everyone, if you look at the the if you look at at at, at um, um, Muslim what's Islam. Islam, if you look at Buddhism, if you look at all of them, they all have this idea that if you do these things, you'll get to eternal life. If you follow the right path, you'll get to eternal life. So it's everything we do. It's what we perform. It's how we act. That will get us to whatever God, all right? It, it's, 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 this is who I am, and this is what I do. And, and so every religion says this. But here's the thing. Christian denominations do the exact same thing. Christian denominations say, yes, it's by faith, plus works. You, you, you truly get to heaven by, yep, you, you believe in Jesus, but you better start doing these things too. Catholicism does it. A lot of mainline denominations, it's faith plus works. In fact, a lot of churches, in order to, and we preached on this a, a many weeks ago, in order to maintain order in the church, to make sure you live right, they will even say, if you want to maintain your salvation, you better make sure you have faith plus works. Because if you're not working enough, you'll lose your salvation. Really? Well, how much am I doing then to keep my salvation? If I'm messing, if I, have I messed up too much to lose it? No, here's the thing. A lot of churches use, I think it's a scare tactic, because a lot of pastors are afraid to say this. You are free in Christ. You see, my freedom in Christ doesn't give me that, 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 red, that green light to be like, well, I can live how I want. No, no. What I have in Christ because of what he's done for me, it causes me to go, man, I don't want to live like the crowd. I want to live like the committed core. I want to live and be more like Jesus because of what he's did for me. Not because, not because I'm perfect. I'm not trying. Man, we're never going to be perfect on this side of heaven. But that doesn't mean I don't keep pursuing it. Man, we're all going to be messing up. We're all still going to sin. But the idea is I don't, I don't live for Christ out of fear that, that my church is going to kick me to the curb. I live for Christ out of love because he loves me and man jesus died for me that's why we do what we do and that is why our entire your entire relationship with christ has nothing to do with your works jesus did not die on a cross because you deserved it he didn't die on a cross because you earn it he didn't die on a cross because well look at how well they're doing today no 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 he died on a cross because to the depth of your core, you are a sinner. And you can't change it. And you can't be good enough before God. You can't act good enough before God. That's why the book of Isaiah says, all your righteous acts are like filthy rags before God. You can't do it. And that's one of the misunderstandings about the works of God is that you and I cannot attain the works of God because in order to attain the works of God, guess what you have to be? Perfect. Absolutely sinless. In order to obtain what God wants, you've got to be sinless, perfect. And we can't do it. We are sinners and we will fail all the time. And that's why Jesus died on a cross. Not because you deserve it, not because you earn it, not because you merit it. He died on a cross because he loved you. He loved you enough that while you were dead in your sin, he died on a cross to make you alive. And so today, if you're here today, you see the crowd in a church is made up of, again, two groups of people, unbelievers and very immature believers. 
And today, maybe if you're here today, you're part of the crowd and you're an unbeliever. I'm telling you, just as Jesus is telling these people. Because look at what Jesus says to these people. So they're like, what must we do? But look what Jesus says in verse 29. He says, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who has sent me. You believe in him who has been sent. Who is the him? He's talking about himself. He goes, here's what you need to do. Here's the only work you perform, and here's the only thing, is you exercise your faith in me. You put your faith in me. So today, if you're part of the crowd who's an unbeliever, and you think, I can get to heaven. I'm, I'm going to have eternal life because I'm a good person. I'm going to have eternal life because of, of who I am and what I've done. I'm going to, I'm going to receive eternal life because of, of my good works. Jesus has already given you the answer. You're not getting there. The only thing, the only work you can do is you put your faith in Christ and you exercise that. As an unbeliever, and you don't know Christ, your works aren't getting you saved. So here's what you need to do today. As you come to the place where you realize, holy cow, I'm a sinner. And Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I, I, I confess I'm a sinner and I can't get this done. I know, Jesus, I believe today that I can't work, I can't do, I can't merit my rightness with you. So Jesus, I need you to come into my life and be my savior. Forgive me of my sin. If you're a believer today, that's where you begin. And then from that flows the good works and the actions. The starting place, though, is for you to come to the place where you just, Jesus, forgive me. Be my savior today because without you, I can't make it. And then lastly, here's the last thing about the crowd, number four. The crowd selfishly wants Jesus to prove himself. They selfishly want Jesus to prove himself. Look at verse 30. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Okay, so now picture the scene here for a moment. The day before, Jesus did what? Do you remember? Fed the masses with just five loaves and two fish. He fed thousands upon thousands of people with a lot of leftovers. And they look at him now because he's not, he's, he's not performing a miracle right now. He's not giving them what they're needing. He's, they're hungry. They want another free meal. And they're like, okay, fine. Prove you are who you are. Do something amazing. I wonder if Jesus is like, what? Were you not there yesterday? Because that was pretty amazing. I'd like to see you do it. He took five loaves of bread and two fish and fed thousands and thousands of people. And to them, it's not enough. And then they even backed it up with some scripture. Hey, do you know what the Bible tells us? That um, Moses gave our forefathers manna. He miraculously did it. So basically what they're saying is this. Jesus, Moses brought food out of heaven, like out of nothing. You actually had to use something to make it happen. So do something miraculous, then we'll believe you. Really? How many of you are like are shock and awe about that right now? You're like, oh, these people, really? Let's not go there. I'll be the first to admit it. Jesus, if you really cared about me, you'd do this. You ever say that? Jesus, if you are who you say you are, you'll heal me of this disease or whatever it is. You'll heal my wife. You'll heal my child. Jesus, if you are who you say you are, you would bring someone into my life so I could get married. Jesus, if you are who you say you are, you will help me keep my job. Boy, it got quiet in here now. Because I think some of you have said that. We test Jesus. We selfishly need him to prove himself. 
if you truly are my Savior, then do this. That's a hard place to be. But look at what Jesus says. Jesus, like, even, he just, like, I'm not even going to go down that road. In verse 32, Jesus says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave, the, gave you bread from heaven. He's like, Moses didn't do that. He's like, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. He, so first he addresses that, that side issue. He's like, okay, number one, um, you all have your Bible knowledge really whacked. He's like, I was there. Moses did nothing. My heavenly father did it all. So before you start quoting scripture at me, make sure you have your scripture right. He's like, so just, let, just take that off the table. Then he goes on. He says in verse 33, he says, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. They respond to Jesus like the woman at the well responded about the water. Jesus is like, I've got living water for you. And she's like, oh, can I have that water so I will never have to come to this well? And he's like, you're not getting it. And he's talking about bread again. And they're like, oh, you've got bread that will last forever? Can we have that bread? Then we wouldn't have to work, man. We'd have bread all the time. And Jesus is like, you're not getting it. Because look at verse 35. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. That verse right there is going to be, we're going to see that a lot through the rest of these scriptures. And that's the verse that blows these people away. Because he's like, they're like, well, wait a minute. We had manna, and you're the bread of life. They're not getting it. But Jesus is saying, look, I am the sustenance to your soul. I am the sustenance of your real deep need, not the physical bread. I am the bread of life for the entire world. And if you think you can have just a physical bread and be satisfied, you're wrong. And listen, I believe some of you, you are still chasing after the physical appetite. You are trying to satisfy something deep within you with something out here. And it's not going to satisfy the real satisfaction comes when you come to that place where you just surrender your... You just come to a place where you're like, Jesus, here I am. No strings attached. I'm going to pray for things. I'm going to ask for things. I'm going to believe for things. But Jesus, you are in control. And whatever you want to do, here I am. Your will be done, not mine. Jesus, I can't save myself. I think I thought I could. I tried. I know I can't. So Jesus, I surrender my life to you. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. Be in control of my life. Until you do that, you're not going to be fully satisfied because you're going to be constantly looking for something. Man, I've got a hole. What can I use to fill it? Until you come to the place where you surrender everything, your life, your family, your job, your health, your finances, everything to Jesus. You will not be satisfied because you will constantly be looking for bread, constantly going, Jesus, you better do it. You'll be constantly chasing after something. And the reality is, when you think that you need to have Jesus prove himself, you're going to come up empty every time. The only proof that Jesus has given us is this. He died on a cross and saved us from our sin. And if, here's the thing, gang. If he never gives you another thing on this side of heaven, how much are you out? Nothing. Because you have everything that's waiting for you. That's the goal, gang. Not here and now. What Jesus is doing for us now. Yesterday, I made this triple chocolate, chocolate on chocolate with more chocolate on chocolate cake yesterday. I'm going to go home and have some of that because it's really, really grub. 
and, I, and, and, and the cake is chocolate, triple chocolate. The icing is chocolate fudge. Now, let me ask you, let me ask you, is it a complete, is it a, is it a cake because it has frosting on it? No. Even if I never put the frosting on it, is it still a cake? It is still a cake. The frosting is just what? Frosting. Jesus is the cake. Everything else in this life is what? Frosting. If Jesus decides, I'm going to bless your socks off financially, guess what it is? Frosting. But if he decides not to bless you financially, do you still have cake? You've got cake. If he decides to heal you or your spouse or your child, whatever it is, whatever sickness, if he decides to heal it, frosting. But if for some reason he says, you know what, I'm going to let this sickness take you home, do you still have cake? Absolutely. Everything in this life is just frosting. The essence of what you have is the cake, which is Jesus Christ. That is the thing that you need. And I'm telling you today, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, come to that place where you're like, Jesus, come into my life. If you are in the crowd today, come to that place where you're like, Jesus, move me. If you've been wandering and out there by yourself, come back to the place where you're like, Jesus, here I am. I want you and nothing else. Let's close our eyes and let's go before the Father in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for who you are, your tremendous love and mercy you show us. We have so much, Lord. Everything in this life is just frosting. You are the cake, Jesus. Oh, God, you, you give us so much, and we don't deserve it. And, Lord, I just pray that today that people have examined where they are. And, Lord, if there are people in here who, if they were honest, if they were to say, I'm just in the crowd, Lord, I pray your word has worked in their heart will move them from the crowd to the committed from just casual to saying, man, I, I, I want to I get into this. And Lord, if there would be anyone here today who does not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, Lord, I pray that they would come to that place where they would surrender their life and realize they cannot work. <clears throat> they cannot earn their way to heaven. And I pray they would come to that place where they would surrender their life to you and say, Jesus, save me. So, Father, I just pray that you will work in the hearts of people. And I just pray, God, that today your word is moving on hearts and moving people closer to you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, stand with me. Here's what we're going to do as we close this last song. I'm just going to stand up here. If today you do not know Jesus as your Savior and you want to come to that place of placing Him in your life, asking Him to come into your life to be your Savior, I would ask that you would just get out of your seat. If you want someone to come with you, ask them to come with you. But come up here and I want to pray with you. And I just want to lead you in a prayer and just, just get you to that place where Jesus is your Savior. So as Dusty leads us, if that's you, please come forward.